Hugs and hand pounds, film fans. How goes it? Welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. Brandon Champion here with Mike Nichols and Evan Dean on Sunday, March 7th, 2021. Wrapping up a fabulous weekend full of activities here in West Michigan. Uh, Evan, how was your weekend down in Florida? It was good. It was uh, another beautiful, beautiful weekend um, in Florida. But you know what I will say? Uh, one of the highlights of this weekend has to do with uh, something in Michigan, and that's the Michigan State Spartans coming off of a big win against U of M. Uh, big, big for MSU in the tournament. Keep that streak alive. I know it's not a sports pod. You've got your own pod for that, but uh, that was a highlight, and uh, I really enjoyed that game. Yeah, shout out Spartan Confidential. Uh, Mike Nichols is also with us here. He has survived Snowpocalypse 2021 down there in Texas. Uh, we're glad that you didn't die, Mike. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I didn't die too. And apologies to everyone who is disappointed that I didn't die. Uh, don't worry. Someday will be your lucky day. Um, <laughs> Not today. Then, says. We're reviewing some movies. Yeah. What do we say so to the god of death tonight? What do we say to the god of death, Mike? <laughs> not not today and sorry about season eight so uh what are we what are we reviewing today champ <laughs> well there's uh several films that are up in the uh in the queue four to be exact uh all of which that have come out on streaming platforms lately uh we're gonna get to i think we've each seen a few of them so we'll get to that here shortly if you can please check out our second day film podcast facebook page follow us on twitter Hit up our old episodes. Give us a rating and a review. They're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, so if you give us a review, that'd be very appreciated. Helps uh, people find the podcast a little bit easier. But uh, a lot of movies that we have been excited to check out have come out recently. Uh, beginning with One Night in Miami. This movie was directed by Regina King and stars an ensemble cast. Uh, including uh, Kingsley Benadir, Elvis Hodge, Leslie Odom Jr., Lance Reddick, uh, Michael Imperioli, Lawrence Gilliard Jr., among others. The plot summary, a fictional account of one incredible night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 60s. As I said, this movie is directed by Regina King, who is a fantastic actress in her own right. Uh, I quite enjoyed this movie quite a bit, but uh, Evan, I'll toss it to you first. Uh, what did you think of One Night in Miami? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this film uh, as well. It should be acknowledged that this happened. There was a meeting of these four heavyweights uh, in the uh, civil rights movement. Uh, they call it a fictional account because we don't know exactly how it went. Um, a couple of these guys have written biographies or autobiographies, I should say, that have touched on it slightly. But the reason it's fictional is because there's a lot of liberty taken. And, and it's actually started as a play, a 2013 play. And that's immediately notable and noticed when watching this film because it's a heavily uh, dialogue-driven film. You've got these four icons uh, who for the most part, uh, spend the night in a hotel room. And so um, if you're looking for action, if you're looking for a film that's going to be, you know, uh, the move quickly, be fast paced, it's not the film for you. But 
given what it was, given that it was an adaptation from a play, I thought it was fantastic. And anytime you have a, a film like this, it's going to rely heavily on the performances of those involved. And I thought, uh, most notably, Kingsley Benadir, fantastic. He played Malcolm X, and then Leslie Odom Jr. played Sam Cooke. And those two stood out, and I think they were kind of given the most to say, although the f- film did focus a lot on Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, and Jim Brown. Um, but, you know, the conversations that are had and kind of the messiness that comes with, that came with the time um, for um, essentially these black icons was um, how do they succeed in a white man's world while also um, raising the influence of the black community. And, um, you know, I just, I thought that the, the conversations they had, the dialogue they had, it was so thought provoking. Um, and it's a little ironic because I, I was, when I, I did a story last year on how segregated the city of Fort Myers is. And in part of doing research for that, I researched obviously the civil rights movement movement. And one of the songs I included in the story uh, was A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke because that, that song in and of itself is just iconic. Um, and it was the song of the civil rights movement along with Marvin Gaye's song, What's Going On. But to end with that, the way they did with that song was so powerful. And but last thing I'll say before I toss it to you, Champ, is um, the conversations here are being felt today. You know, uh, LeBron James in particular is, is uh, an icon in the black community. And he uh, is often put into question over, you know, using his platform to talk about, you know, rights and to talk about politics. And it's still a struggle for some of the, um, the I- black icons of, of now. And so um, whenever I see a film about the civil rights movement, it, lately, you know, you can't help but feel like some of the issues discussed in the film, even though it's 50 years ago, are still so important today. Yeah, I mean, for sure. It's definitely a very timely, relevant movie. That's, I, mean, I think that's why we're seeing a lot of these movies get made uh, right now mm-hmm. um, that are dealing with subject matters and approaching this sort of stuff in a different way. You mentioned a lot of their conversations that they have are about how to succeed in, you know, a white man's world. But I liked... Uh, how right off the jump of this movie, we basically get like a montage of our four main characters, like failing in some way, or at least being in like a tough spot. So right off the jump, we're put into their headspace of where, you know, these are icons, right? These people are known for their accomplishments and being great. So I thought it was an interesting choice to start the movie off by having these icons fail. And I thought that was a good way to do it because it really contextualizes and humanizes them, right? It gives us, um, because of what a lot of this movie is, is giving us insight into their fears and insecurities that even though they're these super powerful, uh, influential men, they feel a lot of pressure. They have worries and doubts about uh, their respective things, you know, whether it's Cassius converting to Islam or Jim Brown feeling like he doesn't really love football as much as he used to, or Sam Cooke is the one we see it where it's most uh, the least subtle, where it's like, you should be using your music for, for uh, you know, to increase this movement. Um, So it's just a good way to start the film off by contextualizing these icons and making them feel more human like uh, because that's how we can sort of connect with them. I mean, you, you definitely can feel this as a play, 
but the film feels really dynamic to me because it's part of that is like with the camera movements with like overhead shots or Regina King does a lot of stuff with like mirrors where she will shoot into a mirror so that we can see all four of them in the same shot. And just by doing that, it sort of makes the the film, at least in my opinion, it makes it feel more dynamic and exciting. Uh, Mike, we, you know, we just reviewed Ma Rainey's Black Bottom uh, last pod, and that was also a film based on a play. And Mike, you had made a critique about how you felt yeah. like that almost felt too much like a play. This film would have right. been in danger of that same thing, I think. Um, mm. But it felt more uh, alive to me, I guess I would say. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think, and I, I just to kind of touch on, um, cause I know we're trying to go rapid fire, you know, the beginning and, uh, you know, and, and in at least the instances of Sam Cook and Jim Brown, those failures, so to speak, were as a direct result of them just being black. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it kind of lays the groundwork for that struggle. Um, you know, and, and honestly, uh, you know, I, I, this is a film that, you know, I think because of the performances and the dialogue um, and, you know, just the emotion behind it, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 these characters are conflicted in many ways that carried it. Uh, it's one of the best I've seen since the pandemic started and we've stopped going to movies. I gave it an eight out of 10. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love this movie. So, I mean, I gave it a nine out of 10. It, it jumped to my to my top spot in my rankings. I, wow. I just love yeah. this movie so much. I mean, it, it is sort of like fan fiction in a way, right? Because we're just the way that they can create these conversations that they're having, like uh, like Jim Brown and Cassius Clay talking about feeling like gladiators and how mm-hmm. uh, they're made by like the success in sports, but they almost feel like they're pandering to people and people only respect them like his friend. Uh, from from Georgia, the white you know friend in quotes. He's acting all yeah. nice to him, and then he calls him, drops an end bomb out of nowhere. And it's it's just kind of like this idea that these black men are are trying to just live in this world. Or like Malcolm X calling out Cook. Uh, there was some great great interactions between them where oh you know, yeah, fantastic. Talking out of both sides of his mouth, you know Jim Brown and Malcolm talking about needing Sam and Cash. Uh, to be weapons and the idea that they're like props and Jim Brown's like, well, we're not weapons. You know, it's just, it's just like the different way that they're being objectified by the white people of the time. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you also have the black community that it's sort of using them more as like tools than treating them like people. And I think really interesting ideas. Because they kind of fall in both worlds. They're, they're in the white man's world of success and, and, fame which at that time was almost exclusive to the white man which is why it's there and it's rare that they're in that group and then of course they're black so they're they kind of fall in both groups and the struggle of how to what to do when you're in two different really different worlds um and the conversations that they have about that i loved it yeah, I mean, and you mentioned the, sh- you know, the shut up and dribble line, you know, that the, the lady told LeBron, you know, yeah. it's so timely now that we, and even it's been in the news, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, the soccer yeah. player talking about how, uh, you know, pro athletes shouldn't mix politics and sport. And, and LeBron's like, well, I'm never going to be quiet. Like I have too much responsibility. Mm-hmm. I have my voice. So it's interesting that we're seeing these things that they're talking about, even, uh, you know, back yeah. in the sixties, it's still the same thing now. So, I mean, Mike, yeah. uh, I know you want to see this. Do you have any thoughts or questions or anything? Um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting that they took something that actually happened 
and turned it into a much larger symbolic exploration of the lives that were entwined in this one very, very short meeting. It is kind of strange to think that all those people were in the same room and you do kind of wonder, like, had they been given more time together, what would have come out of it? Um, it really is like fan fiction. It really is like yeah, fan fiction yeah. because you're, you're sitting there and the, you can tell Regina King had some fun with this and the writers where they're just like, if, okay, if we pair these two of the four up, what would they talk about? Or if you pair these two up, what would they talk about? And I think the film did a good job of, of not going too far into where it's just like they're trying to change history and make things not what they were. But she actually approached it from an angle of like, well, yeah, I could totally see Muhammad Ali and, and, uh, and Jim Brown having this conversation. Or I could mm-hmm. totally see Malcolm X wanting to use uh, these powerful black men as weapons, you know, like it's, and you just see the flaws that all four of them had, these revered figures. Uh, there, it, it just does a really good job putting us in their headspace. And that was conveyed wonderfully by the four actors. Um, because like within a half hour of the film, they're in the hotel room. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how are they going to make this movie like interesting? They're going to be like an hour and 15 minutes of just these four guys in a hotel room. And I was shocked by how engaged I was with the movie. I mean, I I liked Ma Rainey's Black Bottom a lot too. It was very similar. A lot of, you know, because in that movie we had the four guys just like in the band room talking and bouncing off each other, talking about deep stuff. So it was very similar to this in that respect, but it was a little more, uh, I thought this one was more dynamic. So yeah, I loved this movie. Nine out of 10 for me. Uh, it's streaming now on Amazon Prime, so I uh, would highly, highly recommend uh, checking out One Night in Miami. Let's just keep moving right along here on today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. Moving on to a film that is streaming now on HBO Max uh, for another week, I believe. Uh, it is uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, this film is directed by Shaka King. Uh, let's see, Daniel Kalu- Kalua is our main guy. Also, Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Creepazoid himself, Jesse Plemons, or as some people like to call him Fat Matt Damon, uh, <laughs> which I always think is hilarious. Uh, Martin Sheen, Algie Smith in this movie. There's some other things, other people here. Mike is the only one who got to see this. I, I meant to watch it before the pod, but I failed. So sorry about that, listeners. But Mike, uh, what did you think of this film? Um, this is incredible. This is an incredible film. Um, it, it essentially tells the story of uh, Fred Hampton, who was the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party um, in Chicago in the late 1960s, and about um, William O'Neill, who was uh, an FBI informant who essentially betrayed Hampton. So he's the Judas to Hampton's uh, Black Messiah, and. Um, I mean, these are incredible performances we're seeing. This cast just knocks it out of the park with Daniel Kaluuya, who won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor for this role. Um, Lakeith Stanfield, who I think is like, he's got more range than almost any actor I've seen in his generation. He's just unreal, this guy. Jesse Plemons, of course, is always great. But then I think like in some ways the real star of the show who like stole every moment she was in and made everything more powerful for me was Dominique Fishback, who played, um, her name was then Deborah Johnson, now goes by the name of Kua uh, Najeri, I think I'm saying that right, hopefully, sorry if I'm not, um, but yeah, she was his girlfriend and the mother of his child, and um, uh, that actress just destroys, um, the destroys like any kind of competition 
for attention when you're watching them. Like she is so good. I feel like she was so underrated. I didn't see her up for any big awards, but man, like she was just so powerful with her emotive energy and just the way she worked. Like she was, she was my favorite person to watch. I thought she was so great. Um, this movie is very powerful. It's kind of about a story that I think, especially like maybe for white audiences, a lot of us didn't really know about who Fred Hampton was and what was going on with him. Um, obviously, you know, the Black Panther Party has a very complex history. And yet what happened to that guy was very, very messed up. Um, I also want to note, like, historically, what's really fascinating to me about this is that Hampton and O'Neill um, were actually really, really young. Like, I mean, Daniel Kaluuya is, I think, 31. Stanfield's like 29. But in real life, um, Fred Hampton was only 21 when he was killed by the FBI raid and O'Neill was 17 when he infiltrated the black Panthers. So like, um, it's important to remember how young these, these guys were and what happened to them. Like the way the FBI was treating, like, you know, these guys, these guys were like teenagers and or men in their early twenties. Like, it's just crazy to think like the amount of influence and legacy they left in that short time, but also like the amount of energy that the government was putting into trying to stop. It's like, this is a teenager. Like, um, I really think the directing was well done. Uh, the lighting is it really uses interesting color contrast. If you watch this movie, just maybe ask yourself how much different lighting contrast am I seeing in each scene? What does it represent? So I think they do a great job with that. Um, and the movie does a really good job of showing, I think the complications of, like the entire infrastructure of police and you know black americans it kind of shows that like for white people they thought of america as a democracy but for anyone who was black america was a, a fascist country and it's like wow that's completely the way it would have been living in those circumstances um the fbi like through jesse Plemons' character's point of view shows that they really see no difference between the methods of the kkk per se and the panthers um, because they're like, well, they just kind of do the same thing, right? They're just both extremists, but they totally miss the point that one group is born out of blind ego and hatred and one group is born out of genuine injustice. And like, so it's, um, it's just a really uh, strong look at what happened and, um, you know, what, what, a, I mean, basically the way the FBI straight up like murdered this kid, um, you know, and that's, I, I did a lot of research after the movie. So I was like, okay, what, what is fiction? What was history here? Cause obviously some artistic license was taken, but the way the raid at the end is portrayed, it's pretty kind of spot on to what uh, history seems to remember about that moment. So um, definitely an important movie to watch right now. And uh, very, very captivating, very, very good performances and um, a very good reminder from history this story yeah i gave this movie an a we're getting a lot of those uh you know you you're sitting here talking about this movie and once once again what's the topic right it's it's yeah civil rights mm -hmm. it's race relations it's it's dealing with the government and cops i mean it's just crazy like i, I was just sitting here thinking when you were talking about like the last three pods that we've done things on and at least every one like at least half the movies that we're reviewing have to deal with this subject matter and We've always had movies, you know, that are, are about this stuff, but it's, it seems like we're getting them at a higher rate. And I don't know if that's because black creators are being given more chances or if it's just really timely and more of these stories are being told like it's the right time for it. Um, but I it's think kind it's of an interesting both. trend. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's both, you know, I think there's been a somewhat of a concerted effort to lift black voices in Hollywood. I, I don't, you know, whether it's been enough, you know, it depends on who you ask, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, the black Panther party to my knowledge was partly inspired by figures like Malcolm X. So um, we just talked about him and um, I, I know nothing about this particular event in history. And so I would, I don't uh, either. And be, I don't want to Google well it. <laughs> I don't want to Google uh, it because I don't want it to be spoiled. So I was like, well, trying not to look at it too much. Well, obviously knowing about the raid, Mike right. told us and the way that ends is obviously, you know, I think that's, I didn't know about that, but I'm sure in history that and the way that that happened is well known. But yeah, it sounds like a film um, to see, especially right now. And uh, I, I definitely need to throw it on the list. Thanks, Mike. And I, I think it's, I think it's streaming for like another week on HBO Max, uh, and then it's going to the theaters only. Um, so I got to, I got to watch that before it gets off there. Uh, sounds like a good option. Yeah, and, I'll, and I promise I didn't spoil everything. Like, there's a lot about um, how that raid goes down that I have not revealed and uh, there's still some surprises. So even though I've kind of given away the story, um, which I'm sure you could probably guess even just by watching the trailer, um, there's a lot of details about that raid that I have not revealed that are pretty surprising still. So if, even if you're listening to this uh, and you haven't seen the, sh- the movie yet, trust me, go watch it. You're still in for surprises. That's Judas and the Black Messiah. Mike gave it in a uh, rating. So good review there. Uh, let's keep it moving, right? Sunday night here. We, uh, we got a big work week ahead. Damn it. Uh, but, uh, at least we get one little last bit of enjoyment on our Sunday night, you know, hanging out, talking about movies. It's been a yeah. little bit since I've talked to you guys, you know, uh, always nice to talk about the flicks. Um, I saw, um, you know, Mikey put up a post today about missing the theater. So you think you're getting close to making your way back to the theater at some point? I hope so. I mean, theaters in Austin, Texas just kind of took a hit with the big storm or snow vid or snow apocalypse, whatever, whatever it's getting called. But uh, yeah, I would definitely love to just be able to see a movie in a theater again. Um, although there is something kind of enjoyable about just getting to watch it at home too and be like, well, didn't have to go anywhere. Didn't have to spend like a ton of money. Well, now um, that we're getting, like, there's a new movie. Now that we're getting new movies that are coming out right on streaming and then having like a sur- mm-hmm. pseudo uh, theater thing too it's kind of nice i did go to the theater twice went to saw tenant when we had sort of the little uh lull in the cases and then uh, i went and saw in imax uh lord of the rings fellowship of the ring which was pretty awesome it was great to get back in the theater honestly they were doing a good job getting them spaced out uh you just can't replace that but uh sorry it was a little tangent i know but i just saw your facebook post so i was i was, I was you th- are you gonna go back soon evan Oh, I don't, I haven't even thought about it. You know, I, I will say we had a, a lengthy conversation that wasn't on the pod via text amongst the three of us about the future of the cinema. And um, I think it's worth having a bigger conversation at some point, just because the, the move to release everything new on streaming immediately has changed the game and they did it out of necessity. And now it's becoming preference. So mm-hmm. I, I totally yeah. agree with you. Totally agree with you, but um, I try to do little things to make the the the, the movie watching experience like it was, and I buy like the Orville Redenbacher's like topping, and I get like yeah, I, it's, it's like the only way to get movie theater popcorn. Shooting butter through a get, straw, 
<laughs> not quite. Yeah. It's like, a, you know, you know, it's good. And then I get my gummy worms and I try to do it up. But yeah, I, I miss it. And I'll have to look into it. I mean, everything's open in Florida, so it's, it's available. Right. But um, yeah, any, I miss it too. For anyone listening to this, tell us what you do to make movie nights special now in pandemic. Like, do you do you have special snacks? Do you all like, you know, get a, get some blankets or some pillows? Do you all like make a special drink? Tell us what you guys do to make uh, movie night special now for you. I like it. I like it. Well, speaking, well speaking of uh, the little things, Evan, uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, that's a transition there. Uh, <laughs> we are talking about a movie called The Little Things. It's uh, an American neo-noir crime thriller directed by John Lee Hancock. Uh, it stars Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto, uh, Chris Bauer, Michael Hyatt, Terry Kinney, Natalie Morales also in the film. The plot summary on IMDb. Kern County Deputy Sheriff Joe Deacon is sent to Los Angeles for what should have been a quick evidence-gathering assignment. Instead, he becomes embroiled in the search for a serial killer who is terrorizing the city. (sighs) Mike and I saw this one. I was really excited when I saw that these three actors, these three legendary actors, all who are known for uh, encapsulating their roles fully, especially in Jared Leto's case. Oh, he's great, uh, Who's, you know, method actor to a T. You know, Rami Malek, we just saw him nail um, Freddie Mercury uh, in in the movie a couple uh, uh, that just came out last year. Um, So we know he's got some skill. And then Denzel Washington, obviously one of the most, uh, you know, talented actors working in Hollywood for the last few decades. I was really stoked about this movie. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't really deliver on any level uh, for me. Uh, and that's mo- mainly around based on the end of the movie, which we'll get to in a little bit, I think, Mike. But uh, this basically ended up amounting to nothing more than like a, a seven ripoff that comes nowhere near being mm-hmm. as good as seven. But what did you think? Kind of the same as you. Like I, I, I love you know Denzel. Obviously, I love Rami Malek. I just thought that it was, uh, it just felt like kind of a stretched out episode of Law and Order. Like where it's you know we we don't really know who these characters are in the beginning. We're never really given a reason to care about the characters or relate to them or like them. Um, it, it feels like some of the mysteries that you're being like withheld about these characters, like oh. Well, why, why is this officer here? Why, well, what's in his past? We're not going to tell you uh-huh. until later. And it's like, when they finally reveal it, I'm like, oh, why do I care? Like, I don't care about that detail. They could have revealed that at the beginning. <laughs> it's not a very interesting detail. Okay. He had a case, then go, well, oh. Right. Great. There's, there's like two you mysteries. With that. You could have opened with that scene, and I would have cared about that as much as if now you're revealing it after a buildup. Like, I don't. It's just nothing about these characters made you care about the story, the case frankly wasn't really that complicated or really that interesting and um yeah and then the the ending is kind of like frankly a little too morally ambiguous that i wasn't really sure what the message of that was where it's like so they're saying this is a good thing that they did this or they are they still gonna hunt for the guy he's like did they catch the guy did they not catch the guy what we don't know like did, did the real villain get away was this we don't really know Great. A movie about characters I didn't care about and a case that wasn't all interesting now has a complicated moral ending because, well, cops just got to do what they got to do. What? Like, I don't know. I wasn't too impressed with this movie. I gave it a C plus. You just get a lot of 
hard like it 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 feels like it's trying to copy seven like right down to where you have two different cops of two different nation you know two different races you have the three-man showdown in the desert at the end you have uh um there's just they're clearly trying to channel you know these old school dark new noir stuff and i think the movie does that decently from like a from a looks standpoint the vibe feels dark uh, you know, the music is kind of creepy and interesting. But in terms of the actual plot, what you're talking about, Mike, where the they throw the they shoehorn in this mystery about Denzel Washington's character's past, which isn't really a mystery to anyone who's actually in the movie. The only people it's a mystery to is right. us. So it's they're just shoehorning this in through writing, this extra mystery. There's like the mystery they're trying to solve, and there's the mystery of what happened with Joe Deacon. And when we find out what happened with Joe, it's just really not all that interesting. And yeah, it's not as huge deal. <laughs> and the scene at the end you're talking about where they're like, you know, I don't want to give it away because Evan hasn't seen it, but it's basically like, I did this bad thing, but I also did it. So it's okay that this happened. Like, it, it was just kind of like, like me and my wife watched this movie and after the, the credits were rolling, we're like, okay, so are we supposed to be like rooting for these guys because this happened? Yeah. Uh, and that scene in the desert, it was, it's not really a desert. It's like a field, but the scene at the end, it goes on way too long. Like how long does that? And the whole time they're making bad choices that they, I'm like, no, this is obviously the wrong thing to do. Like, why would you do this? Why would you get in the car with him? Why (laughs) would you, why would you do any, like none of this makes sense as a moral (laughs) or even logical choice for these characters to be making. Like you're, you're a cop, you're investigating this case. Someone behaves in this way. Yeah. And you're like, you know, I'm just going to follow him. I bet it's like, no, why would, like, why would they do this? Like, this makes no sense. And then they get to the ultimate conclusion. You're like, wait, did all that plot just, was it forced so that this could happen? Yeah. What, why? And you, then you, like, well, what's our moral? What's our message? Like, what's, what's the point of this movie? Because there doesn't seem to be much of a point to the characters. Is this, does the story or the plot have a point? You've got Not like really. Denzel hold, really. withholding things from Rami Malik just so we can create this like fabricated drama uh, between the two. Yeah. Uh, and I like Denzel. I think his performance is fine. I, I found Rami Malik to be a kind of a miscast for this role. I, I wasn't really buying him as this, this like ace up and coming detective i found his acting to be kind of rigid and weird in this movie whereas his acting that was so quirky in uh what was the damn movie called that he played freddie mercury and why can't i think of the Bohemian, name of it Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian, yeah, Rhapsody, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. um so yeah the, the way that it worked in that because he was embodying freddie mercury i just wasn't feeling it as much i wasn't buying him as a cop basically he's he's almost too quirky to inhabit like this yeah. this role in my opinion at least he was yeah. Yeah. Wasn't well, and he and he's a you know he's a what a robot in that series. So yeah, to have play the kind of the straight laced oh, cop. Yeah, and, yeah. This this is uh, really disappointing to hear because I'm a huge Denzel fan. Uh, Requiem for a Dream, one of Jared Leto's original films, is one of my favorite of all time. Oh, that's, that's you a know. classic movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, they, they, all three Fair of movie. these guys have have been in legendary roles so it's yeah i always hate to hear that when you've got this cast and then you just handed a script that isn't worth anything hey they, yeah. they did say they did say the name of the movie in the movie and that's always a crowd pleaser though <laughs> yeah i mean it's not like denzel and ram it's not like denzel and remy and jared Lowe do a bad job like they all do fine like denzel you could say even has his stuff down so like like denzel's just got it down he knows what to do in every oh. scene to make you want to watch denzel but you just 
don't care about the story. Like you don't care about the character. Like, and you know, it's not really Denzel's fault. It's um, is what it is. Why is so, this movie called yeah. The Little Things? There, there is that line where they're like, "It's the little things, Jimmy. It's the little things <laughs> that get you caught." But I'm like, why is that? Why does that matter? <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, the little things didn't get them caught. So why <laughs> it's the little things that give you hope? Like, I don't know. Like, and there's like every cop it. trope in the book in this where it's like the workaholic cop that has no life outside of just doing the case. <laughs> you know, they're going through the garbage. It's it, it's a pretty standard cop procedural or procedural without like the the vitriol or the intrigue that a film like Seven has, for example. It just, it's it's pretty lacking in a lot of ways and it's disappointing. And with the, like, 80s slasher film decision-making from what yes. it sounds like. I gave this a 5 out of 10. So not, not, not a movie that – I really think that part of the movie, like, maybe, like, the first hour was, was fine. I was into it. I was intrigued. I was seeing it. Where are we going to go with this? But that last half hour in particular where it's basically the three of them standing there in a Mexican standoff and doing nothing and making stupid decisions is – completely tanked the movie for me and and really bumped it down it from where i was at like a six and a half bumped it down to a, a five uh so yeah this this movie was disappointing i think it's a miss um it is on hbo max so you can check it out if you want to but um big disappointment on the little things for both mike mike and me so Let's uh, move on here to uh, the last film we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna talk about here on March 7, twenty twenty one. It is called. Um, what, what is it called? What are we doing here? Midnight Sky. Oh, I the Midnight, Midnight yes. Sky. The Midnight Sky. Yes, that's the one. This film is directed by George Clooney and stars George Clooney um, alongside Felicity Jones, Daniel Oyelowo, Kyle Chandler's in this movie, Damian Bashir. Um, the plot summary, a, this post-apocalyptic tale follows Augustine, a lonely scientist in the Arctic, as he races to stop Sully and her fellow astronauts from returning home to a mysterious global catastrophe. Uh, I think all three of us saw this one. It was on Netflix. Um, so, Evan, we haven't heard from you in a little bit, so I'll toss it to you. Uh, what did you think about uh, The Midnight Sky? Yeah, uh, I'll start with what I really liked, and it looked really good and it sounded really good. Uh, the film was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Original Score and I thought the music was beautiful. Um, like almost haunting at times. It was just, mm -hmm. it, was, it was definitely the best part of the film in my mind. And, and it looked really good. You have, you know, this barren Arctic landscape. You've got these just beautiful, vast, um, you know, scenes in space. You've got this really cool looking spaceship you've got this faraway world that just looks wild and out there um and i thought it looked and sounded good um but where i really took issue is with the story um it's so it's based on a book called good morning midnight and i have never read the book so I, i'm judging it based on the, the the film script and it was really really clunky um and you essentially have your space characters and your earth characters. And when you're going to try to develop two different storylines equally throughout a film, to some degree, you have to balance it out throughout the film. And we spent the first half almost entirely with George Clooney on earth. 
And then this, you know, the second half, you know, you were thinking the space characters are almost a little bit of a side plot, but no, we find out in the, the second half that they're going to try to tell a full story with the space characters as well. And we're already, you know, well into George Clooney's storyline. And then we jump out to space like two thirds in and we're still developing characters. Mm -hmm. And there was this scene where they had to go outside the spaceship and it was so happy and fun and like dragged on. And you're like, what's, what is going on with this story? Yeah. It felt like like for a long time. It felt like two different movies jammed into the same movie. It didn't feel cohesive at all. It felt like you were watching two different movies. Yeah, and for, for, you know, they're in space. I mean, it must have been 10 minutes where they're just having fun and floating around. And yet we're two-thirds of the way into the film where we need to be advancing the plot. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the, one of the characters gets hurt and that kind of moves it forward. And you end up towards the end, obviously at the end, learning why they're telling these two stories. But, you know, I've seen films done really well where they're taking a lot of stories and they're they're interweaving them. Like I think of Crash as one of the best ever of taking a massive amount of characters and scenes and interweaving it. But yeah, this just felt, it didn't feel cohesive. And if you're going to tell two same two different storylines, you can't wait until you're halfway through before you start telling one of them, right? Mm-hmm. It just, it was really clunky. And for that, it was a, it took a hit for me big time. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I uh, I also kind of felt like the way they tried to split up the two plot lines was was a little um, like slow at certain points and definitely like not very balanced very well. I also thought like um, you know some of the uh, um, some of the situations they were in, I, I I just didn't really see like what the point of certain like certain certain plot points of George Clooney's character trying to get to this other location. Like they just sometimes felt like there was forced drama there just to maybe stretch it out or give them something else to do. And yet it didn't really seem to mean anything to the characters or to have any real meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there were definitely some, I feel forced, like forced moments of conflict just to create something in the story for the characters to do. And yet, Overall, it didn't really enhance the, the story's meaning or the themes at all or, or even the character's development in any way. But I will say that, kind of like you, I have not read the, the novel Good Morning Midnight that this is based on, but um, it was a really interesting situation. Like, there's been a nuclear war and the whole planet's like, air system is getting destroyed. A lot of people up safer in the Arctic and Russ underground there was something about the, living through this pandemic and especially what I went through a couple of weeks ago with having no power and water for a week while the whole state, like, state was frozen. Like there was something kind of relatable to like watching this guy just being trapped up there alone in the cold and like trying to figure out how I'm going to survive. What's going to happen. We, if, we, if we go outside, we have to wear masks. And then to have like a, you know, a, a spaceship coming back with people who are like, Hey, we found other land, like trying to warn them. Hey, don't come back. Yeah. And just that isolation that they must have felt in space of, yeah, we're like, whatever humanity's future is, it's in this spaceship right now. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. you know, what, like, if humanity can survive on Earth, I'm the guy who's got to try to survive, but I'm dying. Like, and it was just a very 
interesting situation to see characters in. And it just felt really like it hit home right now for us in a pandemic, especially with, with global warming and everything going on. Like it just, it was a really kind of like dark mood to kind of like leave yourself with. So I, I do respect the story. It was trying to tell a lot. And um, I do think that Clooney, like he understood the severity of like, kind of like what those characters must've been feeling. Um, so I do think that there was um, a really good story there, but unfortunately, uh, honestly, I, th- I think the direction to it was kind of weak and that's kind of on Clooney. It doesn't flow at all. I mean, that's totally on yeah. the director and you, you, uh, you know, you talk about things that are like shoehorned in or like manufactured drama. I mean, just to give some examples, you know, you, you had some good positive momentum at the beginning with Clooney leaving his little safe haven to try and get to this radar station. But then all of a sudden, like you said, Evan, we cut away to this spacewalk, which while beautifully shot and it looks great and you could see it like if you were watching it on a big screen, you could be like, holy crap, this is awesome. But it just drags. It brings the movie Mm -hmm. to a standstill. And in general, I think you can say that this movie lacks uh, positive momentum with the plot. There isn't really that that much plot at all, honestly. It's just them both different timelines and storylines trying to get somewhere. And you get like things shoehorned in where like like contact and transmission issues drive a lot of the drama in this. The fact that they literally can't talk to each other is what's driving a lot of the drama. And that's sort of just like a writing cheat, honestly, that Mm -hmm. you could just work into there. And it's okay if that is like an, an obstacle that our characters have to get through. But the fact that basically all the drama is created out of the fact that they can't talk to each other is a little bit of a cop out. I think it's a little bit weak. Yeah. And, and again, not also, having read, I just will say quickly, Mike, not having read the book, I, you know, I think that would really help me, you know, provide some perspective because I, 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 I don't know whether to, 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 uh, to dock Clooney or dock the story. Right. Because it's like, it both, it, none of it, it was just messy and clunky and didn't, like you said, didn't flow. So I don't know if it was more effective in the book. Well, it's but, interesting also that there's no, there's not really a solution in this movie. Like no, nothing, and that's fine if you want to have like an ambiguous plot that doesn't wrap up into a nice little bow, but you don't really have anything that happens. You know, I think it's more, this movie maybe is trying to look at how people deal with grief and loneliness and adversity in different ways, because you see each of the astronauts dealing with it differently. We see them deal with their responses differently, where two of them decide they are going to go back to earth. And two of them are like, we're going to keep going. We see how Clooney deals with it, but there just wasn't a lot going on. So I, I didn't really know, but what were you going to say, Mike? I was just going to say like the trope of like the grizzled old man, like going on a journey while guarding this like young little girl who never speaks like that. That trope is kind of getting old to me. And also that twist, the twist that was. Well, yeah. And, and there there came a, there came a certain point. There came a certain point in the film where you're like, how is not only he surviving this, how is she surviving this? Yeah. And then yeah. obviously, you know, you, you kind of have an idea when the twist hits of what's really going on. And I got some we... major, I got some major adrift vibes. Sorry to spoil it for those who will. <laughs> adrift. The... I forgot we watched that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same kind of idea, right? Um, yeah. But, but, it's, yeah, like, but yeah. it's like, didn't we just have a, a movie about space and time, someone's daughter and it's a thing and uh, yeah. it's like a major reveal? Like, 
it's just kind of uh, lacking originality. But I agree, this movie looked fantastic. I agree okay. with that. And that score was good. The score was mm-hmm. really, uh, it was sort of booming and haunting and eerie. And it was, uh, so I did, I did like that. Uh, I ended up giving it a six out of 10. What about you? Yeah, I, I gave it a six as well. So we were right at the same point. Five point five six, right in that, that area. Like just a tick above like subpar, mm-hmm. you know. Did you give it a grade, Mike? B minus. B minus. All right. Well, those are our movies. We got through that pretty quickly there, guys. That was efficient. I like that. We said we wanted a shorter, efficient, rapid fire pod, and we uh I think we just accomplished it for the first time in our lives. Three gas bags like us being efficient. It's amazing. <laughs> Incredible. It's, like, yeah, it's a miracle. <laughs> And we didn't even have to talk about the Golden Globes, which was great. Yes, I, 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 de- I decided that I would appease Mike and we would skip the Golden Globes for now. But we are going to talk about the Oscars. So I got yes. to improve on my picks from last year. They were, I was disappointed with my performance last year. So we need to, we need to do better. <laughs> and I'll also put out a top 10 list at some point. There's just one or two more movies from this year that I want to see before I, I finalize it. But it's, it's almost done. It's pretty much done. So uh, we'll reveal that shortly. I don't know if I'm going to do a whole pod since we've talked about pretty much every one of the movies already, um, but I'll definitely <laughs> put it on the Facebook page. So uh, you can look out for that. That's at Second Day Film. You can follow us on Twitter on Second Day Film. Old episodes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Anything else you guys want to say? Got a big week ahead? Any big plans? I got uh, one more week and then I've got a week off. So oh, yeah. I'm Lots pretty excited. It's spring break. Well, no, it'll be lots of beaching, boating, and golfing. <laughs> and <laughs> the it, Lord uh, of the Rings trilogy. Right? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, no, but I, it'll be good. So. What about you, Mike? Are yeah. things back to normal, basically, down there? Um, for us, yes. For many, not. But for the most part, yes. Um, but, of course, now the governor has just made an order that they are opening up everything 100%, and they've taken down the mask mandate. Godspeed. Even though a lot of, even though a lot of businesses are like, yeah, that's crazy. We're still going to be enforcing mask policies at our buildings, and you can't come into a shop here unless you wear a mask because uh, we trust doctors and hospitals, not politicians. So, oh, that's Texas. Another, just you. another week of trying to survive Texas, <laughs> trying to kill me. But, well, um, we we hope that you uh, keep wearing your mask, Mike, and we hope everyone keeps wearing your mask until we can get these vaccines distributed, until we can get this crap under control and finally move yeah. forward. Get back in the theater, right? We want to get back in the theater here at the Second Day Film Club. That's right. Um, so, but yeah, that's going to do it for today's episode. We're up against it. Hope you enjoyed the reviews. Check out those movies. They're very accessible <laughs> these days. <laughs> Mike's scaring me <laughs> looking at the camera. Uh, but yeah, appreciate everyone for listening. Looking forward to uh, award season. Until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the movie.